When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. I think it was a 14 of our next 15 we've got against our own conference slash division. So, I mean, these are the games you need to win to move up if you're going to make any kind of push at this time of year. So, uh, we put ourselves in a bit of a hole, but now we're looking to climb out of it. And these are the games you need to do it. It's definitely coming back. I saw it in the last three or four games that I watched from up top and then uh, the first couple games I've played. So, I mean, we definitely uh, seem to turn a corner there. We're playing with a lot more speed, a lot more uh, confidence, a lot more uh, pace with our game. So, I mean, anytime we're playing like that, we're a tough team to handle. That's Edmonton Oilers goalie Cam Talbot speaking before his team's game on Thursday, December 21st against the St. Louis Blues on the importance of the cluster of games ahead of them. The Blues were tied with the Nashville Predators for first place in the National Hockey League heading into the game, each with 46 points. Both teams are Western Conference rivals of the Oilers, who sat 27th overall with 32 points, 7 points out of a wildcard playoff spot before the game with the Blues. While no one really expects the Oilers to hunt down these two Central Division teams in the standings, 11 of the Oilers' next 12 games, right up until their five-day break in mid-January, are against Western squads. They could, no doubt should, prove to be very pivotal games, which is the lot in life of any team chasing an NHL playoff spot, really. Andre Sekera's return to the blue line is a welcome sight for the Oilers, who have won their last two games. The veteran top four defenseman missed six months of action because of a knee injury. But to make room for the steady hand on defense, another top four defenseman was placed on injured reserve, Oscar Clefbaum. I'm Craig Ellingson. I talked to Jim Matheson, Hockey Hall of Fame writer for the Edmonton Journal and the Edmonton Sun, about these topics and more in our Oil Spills podcast for Thursday, December 21st, 2017. Now, the big news, Maddie, coming uh, this week is the return of Andre Sekera to the Oilers' blue line. Um, and the Oilers made a number of moves earlier in the week to accommodate getting him back in, including putting Oscar Clefbaum on injured reserve. What do you think of, I mean, obviously it's a good thing that Sekera is coming back, but what do you make of all the moves the Oilers have made to get him in? The Clefbaum move, in my humble opinion, is just to get Sekera into the lineup 
and not have to do anything with OV2 and Griba for now. Uh, Clefbaum was well enough to play all the games, and if it was the first game of the playoffs, I'm sure he would be playing. You know, it just buys them a week to see how Sekera is uh, coming back after being out since uh, um, early in May when he uh, tore up his knee. So buys them a little bit of time. You make a move, put a guy on IR, and then for a week, and then Sekera can play a few games. And if it looks like he's a, a player, left bomb comes back, and then they'll have to decide what to do with uh, Griba and uh, OV2 because they'll have way too many defensemen. What does Sekiro bring? Uh, that's, you know, say you know, they're taking Clefbaum out. Uh, what does he bring to the lineup? I mean, obviously he's a veteran presence, but he hasn't played in six months. Well, it, uh, usually a player in his first game back gets by on his adrenaline. Uh, and then after that, then he says, oh, man, my body's sore. You know, gets through the first game because he's all excited to play it. But that's a forward. When you're a defenseman, you know, the adrenaline is, is great, but you can also make some mistakes defensively uh, that are a lot closer to your net than if you're a forward who's been out for seven months. So I think it'll be a tough test for Secre tonight. But they're breaking him in on the third pairing with Matt Benning. And if they give him a little bit of sniff on the penalty kill and the power play so that he gets, you know, 13 minutes a game or whatever he gets, that 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 should be okay. He gives them somebody who can play a lot of minutes and can play the right side or the left side on defense, like Chris Russell. And he also gives them somebody who can play in the power play or the penalty kill. And I think the penalty kill is very poor this year at home. And I think his, you know, coming back certainly should help that. I, you know, it's the old story. When a player's gone, you appreciate him a heck of a lot more than when he's playing. And I don't think... I don't think uh, Andre played all that great his first full year with the Oilers, uh, but he played really well last year in a quiet, understated way. And I think he, he's more appreciated by the players on his own team and the coaching staff, as is Chris Russell, than sometimes the fans. They look at him and go, yeah, he doesn't put up a lot of points, uh, and he's not very physical and this and that. But when he's on the ice, there's a certain trust factor there. And he's 31 years old, and he's played a lot of NHL games. He's not an old guy by any stretch, and I think he's a player who can play 20 minutes a game when healthy and, you know, play in the top four. So anytime you're getting back a defenseman who can play in the top four. Now, when Clefbaum comes back, I, don't, I presume then, you know, he's going in the top four. Darnell Nurse probably isn't going out of the top four. Um, Clefbaum will go back into the top four. So then it becomes a little dicier who's playing with whom. But for now, Sekera, I guess it's a nice switch out, I guess, so she put it that way. Clefbaum leaves, Sekera comes in. They're both really good players. Yeah, I guess we'll wait and see uh, what the owners have to do when Clefbaum's ready to come back. I mean, you know, deleting him from the lineup, uh, it's not as though, I mean, even though he hasn't had the greatest, you know, first part of the season here, he has been playing better as of late. Um, you know, it's always better to have a lot of defensemen closer to the playoffs. Because they always say you need like 10 defensemen who can play. But in the middle of the season, you got too many defensemen. Then you're thinking, okay, what do we do with all these guys? You know, you want them as, as protection late in the year and going into the playoffs in case somebody gets hurt. But in the middle of the year, and you've got too many defensemen, and you've got two defensemen sitting out every game. Uh, and because then, you know, you don't want to lose one of them or whatever, and then you only get one extra forward. So it becomes dicier. But that's the 
problem for the coach and the general manager, not the hockey writer covering the team. You, know, you brought up special teams, and we're talking about Sakura. He'll you know factor in. Uh, you know they continue to be awful for the Oilers. You know at home they're dreadful. Just uh, awful at home though. On the road they're eighty two percent. It's the same players. I you know I don't I don't quite get it, but they're horrendous at home. If you're giving up fifty, you know if you can only kill fifty eight percent of your your penalties at home, that's like fifty fifty. If a team gets two power plays a game, they're already got one goal. You're already down the game one nothing before the game even starts at home. Uh, and if you get four in a game, there's a good chance they could, you know, score two. And the Oilers have had precious few games where they've got through the entire game at home where they haven't given up a power play goal. Uh, when that has to change, I think that the, I think the penalty killing will get better. They always say, and it's such a cliche, your goaltender is your best penalty killer. And if your goaltender is making a lot of saves on the on the PK, then you look better. And if not, then your power, your penalty killing is not very good too. So um, it's tough to dig out of this hole. They're so far, so deep in it now. They they're not coming out of this this hole. This is just a small hole. This is a deep hole because the next closest team to them is seventy three percent or something at home. So that's they're fifteen percentage points. The lowest team in the league at home. Now. The Oilers have their, um, you know, league mandated or PA mandated uh, week off in the middle of January. Between now and if they're playing St. Louis tonight, uh, here just yeah, ahead of Christmas. Between now and then, uh, we only have one game against an Eastern opponent. The rest of them are Western Conference. How important is this stretch of games for the team? Well, I think it's very important. I'd, I'd like it if there were more games against Pacific Division teams as opposed to Central. That comes back to wild card then if you're playing central division teams as opposed to pacific division where you're trying to get you know let's say the third spot in the division uh but they haven't done very well against the east at all this year and they're really good against the west so it it, it behooves the oilers if they've got say 15 of the next 16 against you know the west it behooves them to win the games outright not only win them but win them outright and don't give the other team a chance to get a point a loser point so this is, you know, I would say the next, by the end of January, we'll know whether the Oilers are in the playoffs or out of the playoffs. I think that's pretty obvious if you're going to be playing your own teams in your own division and you only, say, bat 500. You know, you only win as many as you lose and they're not picking up any ground. I think the Oilers can look at their standing right now and say, okay, we got 32. 39, I think, is the wild card. We're still... Our number is has got a three in front of it, and the number of the wild card is also a three. We're not in the twos, you know, like say Ottawa with 28, and, and they're trying to catch a team with 40. So I think that's why they think they got a, a shot. But they're going to have to, you know, they won two in a row. They have to win three in a row. They have to beat Montreal too. They have to going into Christmas. They have to say be on a four-game winning streak to get to 500. And then as soon as they get to 500, then they can breathe a little bit easier and say, okay, now we can move from here but until they get to 500 it's you know it's the sta- standard you know two steps back only one forward and they just can't gain any traction are there any moves the owners can make I mean I, I guess I'm thinking trades um, even at this point in time to address their situation I, you know obviously if some moves have been made by various teams not not talking a ton but you know the trading deadlines still you know not quite a couple months away. It's 
And if the owners, like you're talking about the end of January, um, you know, the trading deadline might be too late for them. Yeah, it might be. And there's teams, Buffalo's out of the playoffs, Arizona's out of the playoffs, Ottawa doesn't look very good. They're the three, and Florida doesn't look great. They're the four teams you could look at and say, okay, what can we get off them? And, you know, we, we keep hearing that Ottawa, I mean, Eugene Mellick doesn't have a lot of money, and he's, you know, the, but they're not going to be in the playoffs to be trading for prospects and younger players. And would you take Mike Hoffman? Yes, I would. Depending, but I would not give up a first-round draft choice for Mike Hoffman. I, don't, I think the Oilers have to start rebuilding their, their organization with first-round draft choices, bite the bullet for, say, two, three years with these first-round draft choices and just keep getting them. I'm not so sure you would give up a first-round draft choice, even for a player like Mike Hoffman. You know, and Hoffman is a similar type player to Jordan Eberle. Better release for sure. Uh, can really shoot the puck. One of the top ten shots probably in the league. Makes $5.1 million. So he'd be cheaper than Jordan Eberle, who they thought was overpriced at $6 million. And they bring in a guy making five point. But what do, you, what, what do you give up? That's the problem. If you're not going to trade your first round draft choice, uh, you know what do you give up? I, the Oilers organization is deeper in defensemen than they are in forwards, with Jones, Caleb Jones, and Ethan Bear in the minors. So if you you, you would think if they're going to be giving up uh, players, it would be giving up a defenseman, a young defenseman, say in a trade for uh, a more established player. But, you know, that's neither here nor there. I mean, most trades in the NHL are still happen at the June draft. They don't happen in the middle of the season, and they only happen with with an quote, unquote, uh, line in the sand, like this: the moves the orders just made because there's a trading, you know, there's a roster freeze for seven days or something. So, they, oh, okay, I better make some sort of moves. And then the trading deadlines, February 26th. Okay, I guess I better do something then. So, but I don't know. The owners can't wait till February 26th. I think the one def- one player, I guess, who who if if Secker comes back and plays really well, okay, and Clefbaum comes back more healthy, and suddenly Matt Benning is your seventh defenseman, do you say, you know, do you dangle M- Matt Benning for a forward? You know, I wouldn't necessarily do that because I think Benning's got some upside. But like I said, this, the strength in the organizations with on def- young defensemen, not f- uh, forwards per se. Except Benning shoots right, and trading right shot defensemen is not the best idea. And the owners don't have a lot of right shot defensemen other than Adam Larson and Eric Griba, who is a seventh or eighth defenseman. You know, you brought up uh, Eugene Melodic and the Ottawa Senators. I mean, there's, uh, you know, of all the talk around the, uh, the, did they call it the Winter Classic there? Or did they call it a Heritage Classic? I can't uh, winter, winter. I don't know what the difference is. And I laughed and they're complaining about how cold it was, too. Uh, it was cold. Not as cold as Isn't here. Isn't this supposed to be cold in winter? Yeah, th- and they've had several games on January 1st where they're worried about it raining and stuff like that, and it's it's kind of lost its luster because it's not real, real cold. That's part of the charm, and I know that a lot of these players probably didn't play outdoors ever unless they had a backyard rink. They're not. There's no community leagues that these guys are playing in any, anymore. They're playing in games on, you know, from the time they're nine years old indoors, not outdoors, but still... 
it's part of the charm, isn't it? Part of the charm was was Jose, you know, Jose Theodore with a toque on top of his his helmet back in 2003. And isn't isn't Ottawa known for the Rideau Canal where yeah. you can skate for miles yeah. outside. Outside, I know. Isn't and that part of it? It was part of the charm. It was cold. You know, it's part of the deal. Uh, I bring up Melnick, the whole ownership. I thought it was very poor timing of him to yeah. do it when that outdoor game was on. Now, obviously, he got to burr up his butt about something because he decided that with all the media around, that was a good time to to spout off, but not the. I'm sure the NHL was not very happy w- with him to be doing it then when they got an outdoor game they're trying to promote and lots of people are all excited about the game and stuff. So yeah, and I was bringing it up because you know obviously once upon a time here in Edmonton we had an owner Peter Pocklinson who you know did something sort of similar saying hey fo- hey fans you have to buy tickets or else Houston baby yeah Houston here we come here, we've been talking about Houston since <laughs> since the mid nineties it's now 2017 and Houston's out there again. Hmm. I mean. Yeah, I don't know what the end game is here. I mean, clearly there are markets out there that are looking for an NHL team, whether it's Houston or Seattle, Quebec City is like, always out there. I don't think the, the problem with the attendance in Ottawa isn't so much that the team is not as good as they were last year. It's where you have to drive to to go to the game. If they put it downtown where they're they're looking to build it, more people will go to the games. But it's a long drive if your team is average or below average, and you just say, yeah, I don't think so. I'm not driving that far, so they they won't they won't go there. That's the problem. There is more so the the I think the fan base there has been pretty pretty good over the years. They've been in the finals once, you know, and lost to Anaheim. It's not like they're they're a powerhouse every year. So they've still been buying tickets for the Senators. So mm-hmm. I don't think if I'm Eugene Melnick, I I think I might back off that. He See was it. suggesting the downtown location isn't even the the cure for their, yeah. their, them either, though. Well, it is. It's the, it's a cure for pretty much most teams. If you can build it, I mean, the downtown area is pretty thriving around you know Parliament Hill and such. Way more than out in Canada. I guess, one way in, one way out. I guess the Coyotes should think about doing the same thing then. Oh, well, they would love to. They've tried to find another location. <laughs> Anyway, Maddie, well, we'll uh, leave it there. This is our final podcast before Christmas, so Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Hope you have a good one. You too. And, uh, of course, you'll be hitting the uh, hitting the road with the orders once they're finished against Winnipeg. Uh, very difficult game because Winnipeg is considerably better than the orders right now. And it's funny, when Winnipeg came in in the third game of the season, Winnipeg had lost two games, and they're all – hell was breaking loose in Winnipeg because they were supposed to have a good team and they'd lost two in a row and they said oh what happens if we start 0-3 and then they beat the Oilers handily and they've been uh, really good ever since alright thanks Matty bye That's our Oil Spills podcast for today. You can subscribe to our show on SoundCloud and iTunes. I'm Craig Ellingson. Talk to you soon.